Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangeley. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, May 25th, and today we're going to kick things off with a deal I'm going to guarantee you'll like, and then we'll turn to two high-profile uh, kind of trading... What are they? It, well, a, a day trading senator and Phil Mickelson kind of paying money for illicit gains in a uh, insider trading case. So, Chris, why don't we kick it off with Tailored Brands, ticker TLRD. This is the combination of Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Banks. Uh, you want to start? You want me to give some background? How do we want to do this? You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. <laughs> Chris was practicing that for uh, two minutes before the podcast, and I think you kicked I think you killed it. But uh, I'll give some background and you hop in whenever you want. So George Zimmer, who is the founder of Men's Warehouse and the former pitch guy, as you said, he gave a wide-ranging interview last week. The interview was great. uh, Highly recommended. I believe it was in Inc. Magazine. Is that right? Yes. And uh, so he was the you're going to like the way you look guy. And one of the things that jumped out in the interview, and it was great, you should absolutely read it, is uh, he, he kept talking about how he really wanted to team up with private equity to take back control of Men's Warehouse. And Zimmer was kicked out in 2013 in a really dramatic situation. Uh, he started clashing with his handpicked successor over strategy and a big executive raise package. Eventually, uh, he said, I want to take the company private, and his, uh, his company's board and his successor said, no, we think they'll put too much debt on the company, uh, we're not going to let you take it private, and kicked him out. Uh, and him getting kicked out eventually led to Joseph A. Banks, which was a smaller company than Men's Warehouse at the time, offering to buy Men's Warehouse, and then Men's Warehouse turned around and bought Joseph A. Banks. Uh, so this was, uh, it was a very dramatic deal, it got a lot of press. Jimmy Kimmel compared firing Zimmer to firing Santa Claus. It spurned a lot of backlash for the company. Uh, and Chris, why don't you take it from there? Smaller companies buying bigger companies have a bad record of working. A yep. lot of what you're paying for if you're a subsequent shareholder is the premium. Like you've you've paid for the promise and then you're trying to see if you can make it work. At first, it looked like the board had made the right move. It, it worked for a while. The stock actually doubled after firing him mm-hmm. and acquiring Joseph A. Bank. So Joseph A. Bank, the smaller company, offered to buy Men's men's Warehouse. Men's Warehouse turned around and bought Joseph A. Banks for all cash. Mm -hmm. And uh, their stock proceeded to double. And everybody said, oh, they were right to fire Zimmer and not pursue a strategy. Uh, But the thing with buying Joseph A. Banks for all cash, when you buy a company for all cash, that means your shareholders get all the upside. The buyer's shareholders get all the upside if the deal works. But they also get all the downside if the deal doesn't work. So they bought Joseph A. Banks for about $1.8 billion in cash. And about six to nine months after the deal worked, um, the whole deal was predicated on Men's Warehouse will be kind of the younger, hipper brand. And Joseph A. Banks will be an upscale brand. To get there, Men's Warehouse said, we're going to have to stop the buy one, get three free promotions that Joseph A. Banks did. They did that. And Joseph A. Banks' uh, same store sales dropped like a rock. And uh, let's see. I've got some stats here. So Joseph... Let's see. Joseph A. Banks, their stock, their savings, their sales, uh, they just dropped 32% in their most recent quarter. And that is the worst drop I've ever, I've never seen a same store sales drop that bad. The worst I can think of is JCPenney did a down 25% in Ron Johnson's corner, but 
I mean, it's not a good combo. It's not looking good for that merger. Go ahead. I, th- I think there's actually an analogy there, too, to JCPenney, which is, in both cases, I thought they did something that was elegant and respectful that said, here's what you get. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to charge you. It's either a good deal or a bad deal for you. We hope you like it. To me, that is an improvement. I mean, good thing uh, you're not uh, invested with me to do retail because I would have done all the same things. I don't like tricks. I don't like manipulation. But boy, apparently does it work. I think that's such a tremendous point. JCPenney, in this case, they stopped doing coupons. They said, we're going to have everyday low prices, no coupons. In this case, Joseph A. Banks said, we're not going to do buy one, get three fee. We're just going to pay... The price you see is the price you pay. Go ahead. I like thinking about everything great and small in absolute terms. Mm-hmm. By, by doing my own work by hand, and say, what do I get? What do I pay? Uh, but I think a lot of people enjoy just a relative value. The they feel say, of the deal. They, they yeah. say, hey, I'm going to pretend this is worth more, and then I'm going to pretend I'm giving you a deal, and you should be happy. And people are happy. So it's what they like. Uh, it's not what I like. Well, there's a lot of psychological research that backs up that that's what they like. but And it's proven in, in these same store sales numbers if you cut off the promotions, you lose the consumers. Mm-hmm. It was not listening to the consumers. Uh, so they paid $1.8 billion in cash for Joseph A. Banks. Yep. And the whole company's market cap, all of Taylor Brands, which includes Men's Warehouse, Joseph A. Banks, a couple of brands, all of their market cap is $650 million, And they've got $1.7 billion in debt. So it has just been – they haven't been able to pay down the debt. Their market cap strong. They're barely worth what they paid for Joseph A. Banks. Uh, so Chris – George Zimmer says, I'd like to partner with private equity to buy the company. Do you think a deal is coming? I think that uh, physicians don't do surgery on their relatives. (laughs) And founders, when they look at their baby, uh, perhaps shouldn't do private equity on their children. Uh, And in this case, it already is... uh, for an LBO, we already have the L, uh, so it's uh, not a promising candidate. They've already got the leverage, so there's no need for the buyout. Yeah, I think things are just really tough for the company right now. Uh, a lot of analysts think they're headed for bankruptcy. Uh, we've heard analysts call them uninvestable. And, you know, distressed retail is really tough. All your stores operate on a lease, which is one fixed cost. Then if you've got a lot of debt, that's another fixed cost. You have to pay the interest on your debt. So if your sales decline at all... Those two things combined and your fixed costs just eat you alive. Uh, you started to talk about it. I think Zimmer is having a little thing I'm going to call founder's regret. Do you mm-hmm. want to dive into that a little bit deeper? Uh, he is bitter, you know, referring to Cassius and Brutus. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not an empiricist looking yeah. at data counting. Uh, and this, this, is, this is somebody um, who, when you found something and you're the boss, you get to be kind of indulgent. You don't always have somebody uh, to tell you. Uh, but actually, even, even the Roman emperors uh, had somebody whose job, and frequently autocrats have somebody whose job is to tell you the truth when nobody else is listening. Uh, uh, Navy captains have the chief of the boat. When nobody's listening, they can kind of have the captain's ear and tell mm-hmm. it to them how it is. And uh, Mr. Zimmer needs a chief of the boat. Yep. So it's clear when you read the article, you mentioned he calls the CEO on board who could mount Cassius and Brutus. He says he pictures them standing next to Lucifer and Dante's Inferno. Yeah. It's clear he's bitter. And part of his reason for wanting to buy the company is he probably – he even mentions, I'd like to go in and fire them. So it's clear he's bitter. Fortunately for him and his potential private equity backwards, towards the end of the article, he says, I don't really see a way to make the numbers work. Hopefully he doesn't do it because while I think he's a great manager and he's done great with the brand in the past – uh, it would probably make more sense for him to wait for a bankruptcy and buy their assets out of bankruptcy if they did go bankrupt so that he could 
ignore all that debt and pay a fair price for how the business is performing. Absolutely. Anything else here? I have nothing to add. Okay, so uh, before we turn to Phil Mickelson and the day trading Senator Corker, just a quick request. If you like this podcast, please follow us on iTunes, uh, Audio Boom, or or Stitcher. Uh, if you already follow us, please be sure to rate us or recommend us to a friend. It means a lot to us, and strong feedback and listener numbers encourages us to keep taping podcasts. So, Chris, there were two fun kind of illegal trading cases in the past week. The first was Phil Mickelson settling an insider trading case with the SEC. He didn't admit any wrongdoing, but he did pay uh, all of his profits and interest back. And the second was uh, the day trading Senator Bob Corker. Uh, The U.S. began probing the real estate investment that uh, he had kind of been day trading and associated with. And just for some background on Senator Corker's day trading, you can listen to our Thursday, November 19th podcast, 105% 105% dividend yield, though as a fair warning, uh, I think we were still having sound issues during that one. Go ahead. Did you it all comes back to Senator Corker. Kind of the, <laughs> this is kind of in the grand scheme of things. It does. But before we talk to him, why don't we uh, talk about Phil Mickelson? Sure. Do you want to start? You want me to give a little background? How you want to do this? Phil Mickelson probably doesn't feel like a lucky guy right now, but boy, is he. <laughs> he just settled an insider trading case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. began probing... Uh, a uh, real estate uh, deal that had a favored investment. Uh, and so the real estate deal was uh, Senator Corker. Oh, I, yeah, just, yeah. I just totally got off. You just jumped straight to the next one. No, no, no problem. Uh, no, so Phil Mickelson, he had the – Phil Mickelson was trading Dean Foods back in – was it 2013, I think? 2013, I think. Sorry, I totally got off. No, no, no. no. Uh, Don't worry about it. Uh Phil Mickelson was trading in Dean Foods, and he got a stock tip from a sports gambler, Billy Waters, who Billy Walters, Walters, who he uh, owed about he owed about a million dollars to, and the stock tip was buy Dean Foods, and it turned out that Billy Walters had gotten this stock tip to buy Dean Foods from the chairman of Dean Foods, who knew that Dean Foods was about to do a big spinoff and their mm-hmm. share price was going to go up. Uh, so Phil Mickelson didn't know it was insider info, uh, and he just settled a case with the SEC that said. He's not getting criminal charges, but he has to pay back all the profits. Go ahead. And I just think that he – back on track here for a second. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that he kind of slipped in uh, a very interesting time in the history of insider trading. Uh, if you look at U.S. Attorney Preet uh, Bharara, uh, he's contending with a couple very important legal issues. Uh, the one – it, the earlier one is U.S. versus Todd Newman, and then the latter one is U.S. versus Bassam Solomon. The earlier standard in the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit basically said it's not insider trading if you're not very explicitly a tipper with fiduciary duty mm-hmm. and a tip E where there has been an exchange. So, yeah. you know, if, if you're asking yourself, are you committing a crime? Do you have a bag stuffed with cash in a manila envelope that you're stuffing under the table? If so, then you probably are. Uh, and then uh, this really uh, gives uh, Mr. Barrara a much more limited scope. Uh, and with that limited scope, he had Walters dead to rights, really by any standard, uh, as well as the tipper in that case. However, the indirect fellow, uh, golfer Phil Mickelson, it was much harder. So that's why Phil got a settlement. 
if the Supreme Court, which they denied looking at Newman, but they are going to look at Salmon, Salmon is going to rebroaden insider trading. Salmon is about love, and Salmon, if they uh, if they throw out uh, uh, the uh, Salmon side, will actually give him much more authority to criminally go after people like Michelson. Yeah. yeah, so I I think, and Chris has printed out the dockets. I, I'm looking at it right now; they're big, thick dockets that he's been reading. But I think to bring it a level back, the question is. It's clearly day trading, the chairman giving a guy a tip and saying, hey, we're about to do a standard. Clearly day trading. Phil Mickelson, the question is, how far does it go? If if I were to give you a tip and then you gave it to someone else, like, where does the chain stop? Does it start with stop with them? If they tell a friend, does it stop with them? Like, where does the chain stop? Where is the uh, promise of payment happening? Phil, in Phil's case, I don't think he knew for sure that this was inside information. I thought, think he just thought it was kind of a hot stock tip. And it's not guaranteed that he really thought the guy, he was getting gains back from Billy Walters in that case. Kind of questionable there because he owed Billy Walters some gambling debt. But uh, I, I do think uh, Phil is quite lucky that there will be no criminal charges. Good for him. It's kind of funny that he's sponsored by Barclays, who is a big bank, who they were involved with the LIBOR trading scandal, I believe, and KPMG, an accounting firm. I wonder if they're going to drop him in the future because they just don't want any taint from this. Uh, any last thoughts or anything? I would just say Billy Walters is a, is a fascinating person. He is a true advantage player. Uh, the history of his sports betting and other probabilistic bets is spectacularly good. He is an anomaly. He is statistically freakish. He has won 60% of bets that people normally win half the time. I, I believe a lot of the article said he is, without question, the greatest sports gambler of all time. Though the fact he was kind of day trading on insider information mm-hmm. there. In sports gambling, there's really no inside information unless you're fixing games. So you do have to wonder, like, you know, was he getting advanced warning of injury reports, starter reports? Uh, I know a lot of sports gamblers, and this is not insider trading. They'll have people who go to sport uh, strip clubs the night before and watch for famous athletes who are there and drinking, and then they can bet against them because that's information the market doesn't have. The person's going to be hung over the next day. He's four and zero legally in big cases that have been brought against him. He has huge, uh, huge resources uh, that he uses. Um, quite aggressively to get information and he knows the math so he knows what to do with information when he gets it yeah. and I'll, I'll just add everything we said was allegedly in this podcast we're just uh, kind of quoting the all the articles we've read we don't have an opinion one way or another so let's quickly turn to day trading senator corker as i mentioned we mentioned him in a previous podcast but the fbi is investigating the uh kind of real estate stock that he was trading in when he made all of his day trading gains. And in addition to looking into if that real estate stock uh, falsified their financial statements, they're looking into the relationship between the company and Senator Corker. Uh, They don't think Senator Corker is involved in any of the falsified financials, but they are interested in how he made millions of dollars trading the stock. Uh, Chris, anything there? He's weirdly involved in trading it. He yep. whips this thing around, sometimes for better, other times for worse. Mainly it, for better, though. He's made a lot of money on the whole of it. It, it is clearly uh, a, a, a fixation of his. The Senate is this weird environment. You're given a title. They have no germaneness rule and no cloture, which means you can talk about whatever you want for as long as you want. So you're kind of this kind of priesthood. And uh, you don't always have somebody to tell you maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, somebody probably should have said, 
maybe this isn't a good idea. But he's very involved with this company. I, I think in the first uh, in the first podcast we did, there were a lot of examples of kind of the person who chairs the oil and gas committee, like buying oil stocks before he gave them the rights to drill big leases or selling them before he denied them the rights to, the rights to it. And I think anyone reasonable would say like, hey, maybe if you're going to do that, like, don't financially benefit from it. Like, that's probably not going to be a good look for you. But these senators, they they can be so removed. I, I think I will not list names. Uh, I did actually used to be a staffer on, in, on the Senate side of Capitol Hill. And I would say, though, there is a list of people who started off poor, ended up rich, <laughs> and did nothing but government, including the U.S. Senate, in the interim. I, I'm sure that is an interesting list. Uh, I'll just add here, Senator Corker's office has kind of put out a statement that said a lot of the charges and investigation are politically motivated, intended as a smear campaign, but the investigations are being run by the Washington departments of the FBI and SEC, which suggests they're a much higher profile case because they're not being run by the regional offices. Anything there? Or? Serious people. So, just serious people. I mean, we don't obviously we, we don't assume guilt one way or another, but no. it is a serious charge and they have serious people on the case. OK, anything before we wrap up? No. Great. That's all the time we have uh, before we sign off. I'm not long anything we discussed here today. Are you long anything we discussed here? I, I'm thinking about inserting a joke here. The, the reality is I believe the answer is no. I have nothing one way or another. I um, actually I, am long a Joseph A. Banks suit. I still have a Joseph you? A. Banks suit I, in my I closet. Don't. So. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I own absolutely uh, nothing. Chris is uh, a Brooks Brothers man. No, no, no. <laughs> Great. Well, I would have felt terrible if I hadn't let everyone know about my Joseph A. Bink suit. So that is all the time we have for today. Please be sure to follow us iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and Audio Boom, and we will talk to you guys next week.